Hello, and welcome to the Adventure Options Podcast. You want adventures and you have options. In this episode, I have a lively chat with Vicki Smith, who is the founder of Earth Changers. Stick around to hear what Vicki said was, quote, a pleasure to witness. As always, this podcast is sponsored by Adventure Writers, copywriting for the travel industry. There are 4.6 billion web pages out there. Make sure yours stands out. Go to adventurewriters.agency for help. That's adventure, W-R-I-T-E-R-S dot agency. Now for the show. Vicki, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to talk to you because there's just loads of information about you out there on the internet, (laughs) which which for some people could be scary, but all of it that I found on you is actually incredibly positive. Oh, great. Good. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Now, where are you right now? Are you in London right now? Actually, I'm in Yorkshire. Um, My parents live here. Oh, okay. So no- normally I'm in Yorkshire, um, but I'm, I'm up in Yorkshire for the weekend, um, fetching, doing some chores with them. And did you grow up in England? So I was born in London, okay. northwest London, moved to Yorkshire when I was nine, and then um, lived in France for a while, and then back to London, and various times in Africa in between, largely, yeah. So it um, sounds like adventure travel was kind of part of your life from the very beginning. Um, don't know about that. I I don't think if I'd stayed in London, it would have been, to be honest, but it's strange. I mean, my first stated ambition in the world, um, ever at age of four was to go to every place in the world called Victoria. Um, I have no idea where that came from in my head, but little did I know that Queen Victoria's reputation got around somewhat a bit more than she did. So I've, I've a lot of places still to go. That's, that's a heck of a bucket list. Um, but I think that moving from London to Yorkshire had a really big impact on my life, definitely. Because London, you know, yeah, I would have had a sort of, you know, city girl life. Um, and my cousins grew up there. So I see, you know, how we may have grown up differently. Whereas in Yorkshire at school, um, you know, we'd have Wednesday afternoons caving and abseiling and trekking and things like this, orienteering. And I was in the school sports clubs, both for netball and hockey. So I, I did a lot of school team sports anyway. So I got to do all the good stuff the rest of the time, right? So, and school was what got me into skiing. So definitely, I mean, Yorkshire generally is, a, is quite an outdoorsy place. Um, so that's definitely had a big influence, yeah. And would you say, because you were a ski instructor or you were a tour operator, what was your role at the ski resort? I was a, what you call a resort manager for a UK tour operator. Um, and as a resort manager, you are in charge of all the staff. Um, that's sort of chalet reps, nannies. Um, you're in charge of the logistics, all the transport comings and goings. Because UK tour operators tend to work on a week-to-week basis, basically. You come for a week, you fly back out, basically. Uh, you're in charge of all the accounts, um, all the ski hire, all the lift passes, um, the staff, the accommodations just making sure everything runs smoothly, uh, which is quite challenging when you've got a load of 18-year-olds who are away from home for the first time working for you. That is a lot of responsibility. How old were yeah. you when you... When 22 you when I started, yeah. You and I went so in. young! Yeah, I was, I was a baby. Um, I went in, I really wanted to be quite a sort of lowly resort rep position in a very big resort with lots of, in a big team. I was quite happy to do that because as far as I was concerned, I was doing six months, one, you know, one ski season and then I was traveling for six months and then I'd go and get a proper job. And, uh, and so in actual fact, that didn't quite happen that way. And I was put into this resort manager position 
initially at quite a small resort, but still with all those responsibilities. Um, I was ski guiding as well in the day and by night doing apres ski with the clients. You know, you had to run bar crawls and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, so it's pretty full on. Yeah, it's quite tough. That is a ton of responsibility, but I imagine that the education you got by being hands-on on all those different yeah. roles and, and having all those hats probably gave you a really good foundation for when you founded your own company. Oh, for sure. I mean, and, and this was back in the uh, mid-90s I started. Um, and so, you know, we didn't really have budgets. You know, we weren't given budgets by our head offices. My, my biggest, my boss was, well, I had one boss eight hours drive away and then a boss in, U- in the UK, basically. So, so there's no one on hand to help you with anything. And it was literally a case of you do a training week, learn how to do the job by practicing on each other. And then off you go into the real world, right, you're at it now. And here's your uniform, here's your manual in case you forget how to do anything. Off you go, we'll see you in six months time. Um, and your job was go and make a profit and make this resort run smoothly for the tour operator and deal with any problems. I mean, um, it's all good fun. You know, it's hard work. Um, my first year, every Saturday was 24 hours without fail. Every Sunday was probably 18 hour days without fail. Um, you you juggle like mad. You're absolutely exhausted. I ended up with lung pleurisy that year, actually. I wasn't very well but and took a whole one day off because I had to because I was ill and really didn't want to. But the problem is you're in and out of hot and cold. Uh, you're ski guiding. You're drinking fairly <laughs> fairly well as well. Um, plus, you're, you're running a job and you're, you're being in charge of, you know, guests um, who are quite tricky at times, you know. Um, the vast majority, it has to be said, are wonderful, but then you get some who are quite difficult and um, that probably overtakes the rest of the week sometimes. Um, and that might be through, um, oh, just because they're not very happy with an accommodation or it might be something like they've had an accident and accident and helping with insurance matters can take absolutely days and days and days. So, yeah, it can be quite, can be quite tricky. Well, now I know why the company chose a young adult because you would have to you know, have a little bit of arrogance to, to run in there and think, yeah, sure, I can do all of this. <laughs> and that young, <laughs> that young, oh, I don't even know what the word Ignorance, is. Like Ambitious. Yes, naivety. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, and, um, sure, I'll, I'll do all this, no problem. And I'll stay what, up 24 hours a day. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what's really, I think, probably you learn very early on is, is, um, is how relationships are key, particularly when you're working in a small community in the mountains. And if you, you know, if you don't get on with your chalet owners, that causes problems. If you don't get on with your ski hire suppliers, that, that's not going to go well. So you have to really work your relationships and you have to know how to spend time with people when, when required. Um, and I mean, I think, I think it taught me, you know, we, those were the days of fax machines, you know, we didn't have computers in those days. There's no such thing as mobile phones. Some people had pages, but generally they didn't work in the mountains. So logistically, trying to organize 500 people into and out of a resort every Saturday was quite challenging at times without these sort of methods of communication we have nowadays. Um, so there's a lot of standing around on corners and in very uh, early mornings and things done. Um, but you had to beg, borrow and steal to use a fax machine. And, you know, we'd borrow from the ski school or something like that. And so to get anything you needed or anything you wanted, you didn't have a budget. So it was a case of you had to work your relationships, which which often meant my Charlie reps cooking cakes a lot of the time for my suppliers and things like that. But that's what works. <laughs> that's awesome. So tell me what the transition out of that job was and where did you go from there? Sure. So um, 
they weren't very well paid or these probably still aren't actually um and so i mean as i said i only intended to do it for one season and then travel and then as it turned out i realized i learned a heck of a lot more than even my friends in you know graduate programs in london or what have you um and that was about you know sales and marketing so i wasn't planning on going into sales and marketing type thing um, but I but I learned so much more than that. And ultimately, it was consumer research for years on end in the travel market, it turned out. Um, and I was actually due to go back to um, uh, manage Switzerland as a country to sort of oversee all the resorts. Um, but unfortunately, a friend of mine was terminally ill. And so I decided to actually just spend some time back in the UK because that was more important at that point in time. And then having made that decision, and my friend died, um, it was a case of, oh, right, okay, well, I'll, I'll go and do that serious job on that people seem to expect to me to have on the CV now. Because I think the problem with travel is when, when people are outside of travel, they don't judge travel as, as a sort of very credible career. Um, it's very easy to sort of write it off as it's just fun or it's not that hard work, or it's glamorous, even in some areas of travel or what have you. I mean, we know adventure travel isn't particularly glamorous or what have you. And so um, to sort of have the credibility on the CV, I decided to go to, to London literally for two years. And I said, that's it. I'm, I'm not a city girl, even though I was born there. It's like, no, it's going to kill me, um, especially after years in the mountains. It's just like, this will absolutely annihilate me. Um, to me, living and working in London was very much sort of hamsters on a wheel. Um, type you know I saw the corporate view what have you um so I got a job in it um I decided I wanted to work in international conferences and I very much just decided that because I knew I wanted to travel still and I knew I'd get itchy feet if I wasn't doing something like that and um I came down from the mountains and discovered this thing called the internet which basically hadn't been around when I went up with them very much. And I was very fortunate that my stepdad at home was a network engineer. So at home was all kitted out really quite early days, sort of 98, I suppose. He was quite kitted out at home. And, um, and, I, and I found this conference company who were producing the world's first conferences on internet technologies in different industries. And I just decided I wanted to work for them. And I'm like, I want to work in international conferences. I want to know about this thing called the internet. It seems fascinating, particularly, I think, when you've been up a mountain and you haven't had methods of communication. And so it was like the absolute opposite to me. So I was fascinated by what it could achieve in different industries. And I was learning about e-commerce. And so basically, I applied to them and pretty much didn't give them very much choice other than they needed to employ me. And they gave me a job, which was marvellous. <laughs> so, so that was great. So um, I spent you know a couple of years there researching and writing conference programs, getting speakers, getting sponsors for different internet tech uh, events um, in travel, in aviation, in aerospace, in um, you know, general country events, sort of retail and things like that. Um, worked hard, played hard with the company that I worked for. And the company I worked for there was really the first startup I worked for, other than having worked in resort, it's quite a startup type environment anyway. So... Um, so yeah, it, it exposed me to startups in terms of dot-com boom that we were and not long after it bubble popped. Um, and also in terms of the working culture that I worked for in that place, which was an incredible company um, called First Conferences here in London. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. We, we lived in each other's pockets a lot because working international hours, we had to be in very early 
to deal with uh, Europe, sort of Norway and Scandinavia will start very, very early. And then we'd be dealing with the West Coast states in the same days. So we'd be in the office late and then we'd probably all be at the bar. So, yeah, it was um, it was a you know, we learned an awful lot in that job as well. Again, it was a lot of bartering went on because budgets weren't available. So, you know, I learned at that point how to design your own banner ads and swap them with banner space for other people. And, you know, this is sort of pre-social media, pre-Google, um, pre... Even, it was only then that PPC came out and it was actually a company in, in London called Overture who started PPC and that was bought out by Yahoo at the time and you know we knew those guys so it was quite an exciting time to work in internet tech that, well. that is exciting and a couple takeaways from that for me are with between the ski job and that startup job you should look a lot older than you do <laughs> you should look <laughs> just worn out and you do not and so I'm a little perplexed by that no well I am worn out but (laughs) I'm younger I I am older than I look I think most people think I'm 10 years younger than I actually am yeah well which has its pros and cons to be honest I mean when I worked in resorts um it was a challenge because and and this is something that I think women get and and men don't and I I don't like to be sexist but it, it does happen um you know, people, if clients had a problem and, and they really wanted to have a good old whinge or whatever, and they would say, can I talk to your manager, please? And I'm like, well, I am the manager here. No, 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 you're manager. No, 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 <laughs> I'm the boss here. You know, and, and, and they would find that difficult to, to accept that, yes, I was in that position. And I did have, young, you know, older males working for me at that point in time as well. And that can be challenging at times. Definitely. I definitely think people look at your age, especially as kind of a marker of your experience. And yeah. so definitely, I definitely think that influences. And they, and they judge that on the age they think you are rather than the age you actually are. And right. even though I was young when I did resort management, I had quite an old head on me, I suppose. Um, and, and, I, and I learned and grew up very fast in those years, having to deal with quite a lot of different stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was years before um, people start. I mean, to be honest, I think it still happens sometimes. Because I'll say, I've done this, I've done that, they've done the other all my life. And then they just say, well, you're a cocky cow because how can you have done that for the age you are? And it's like, well, actually, you're wrong because you're making the assumption that I'm 10 years younger than I actually am or whatever. But anyway, one shouldn't complain, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> you're like the Doogie Hauser of ski resorts then. <laughs> <laughs> um, my other takeaway was, I know you talk about having these life-changing moments that yeah. kind of guided your life. Do you think your friend getting ill and eventually passing away was one of those life-changing moments. Yeah, undoubtedly. Especially at the age of, I think I was 27 when that happened. Um, I mean, what happened there, actually, there was two friends. It was quite traumatic, you know, without going into too many details. But on the same day, one friend went into hospital with terminal illness and another had a a very, very serious car crash and was put in a coma um, for several months um, and potentially would not have survived, but actually did. Um, and literally as one got better, the other got worse. Um, and that was a really tough period of several months of visiting two hospitals a day at times um, and reflecting on where I wanted to be. And it definitely meant I stayed in the UK um, and it definitely meant I spent more time with, um, with friends. Um, but also just about, I think it's about valuing life and... Um, and experience, and I've always, I always have, because I've not been someone that's particularly driven materially, um, and I'm driven by experiences. 
Um, but I'm also driven, I'm an, an emotional person, but I like to confront emotion. And I quite, I quite like, sounds a bit weird, I quite like challenging emotion. Um, and so it was a very challenging time, but that's when you grow most, I think, uh, because you're most vulnerable. Um, and I listened to some of your other podcasts, and I think it was Jake was talking about when you, when you tra- transformational times is when you're vulnerable. And um, yeah, I've had quite a lot of those in life. So hopefully grown quite a lot, even though I don't look it. You don't, but I think that's amazing. So tell me about like one or two other really transformational times in your life that you think have shaped your direction to be able to start Earth Changers. Gosh, so many. So I was thinking about this the other day. I actually think my first penny drop about sustainability was in ski resorts. Um, and that was just purely because of the changing temperatures through the season and how, sh- how t- seasons got shorter, even in the, the number of years that I worked back in the late 90s. Um, and it was the first time I actually remember seeing uh, the permafrost melting. And I saw this sort of black eruption of rock out of this side of snow. And I'm like, what's that? And when you know a resort, when you've skied that particular run or whatever umpteen times, you know what it looks like normally. And, and suddenly it looked different. And it's just like, that's weird. And I had no idea what it was at the time. It was only in retrospect that I realised. So I think that had a little, a little moment there. Um, another big one was um, after I worked actually for the conference company, I worked for a media here in the UK, a big media, um, which at the time sold 10% of all holidays. And they were a company called Teletext. And they're a TV analogue system, which was a precursor to the internet. And so my job there was to basically take their TV tech service which resulted in 10% of all, you know, holidays in the UK because it was all late bookings and it was all around snow reports and all that kind of stuff. Take that system and put it online. Um, and what I ended up in charge of there was sort of the general mass market holidays database. And as a result, I went out to a friend's wedding in Kenya on a cheap holiday deal and ended up staying in an all-inclusive. And um, I probably hadn't experienced that before. <laughs> um, and it was probably my first, particularly because I'd come from sort of specialist holidays, you know, ski and lakes and mountains and hiking and this kind of stuff. It, it's a bit more, um, yeah, adventure based. Whereas now I was dealing with overseas package holidays and, and the sort of UK mass market. And I went around the pool at this hotel asking people why they came and what they were doing there. Because I was personally horrified that the, the hotel were advising people not to go outside the all-inclusive you know it's a sort of enclave if you like and I was wanting to go to the local Shabin bars and go chat to the beach boys and I was going on safari and all this kind of stuff as well as my friend's wedding and it's you know to me travel's all about integrating with the community so I ran around the pool asking these people in sort of work research mode what brings you here who have you booked with etc and the vast majority had booked with the company I was working for um and most of them were there to eat as much as they could, drink as much as they could, never go, never go outside of the hotel. Um, they generally didn't have insurance. They generally didn't have anti-malarials. They generally weren't going on safari because it was too expensive for them. They'd got a cheap last-minute deal. Um, and they just wanted some. And I was horrified. And I thought, it's all my fault. I, this is what I'm creating. This is what I'm promoting. So I think that had a really huge impact on me um, because I was doing all the community-based stuff and the conservation tourism. And I couldn't understand why people wouldn't want to do that. 
And I was suddenly aware that I was working in the package, you know, the industrial model of tourism that we had. But actually my heart lay elsewhere. And there was this huge dichotomy of the poverty outside of the walls of this all-inclusive versus the sort of pretty fake world inside, if you like. And I felt incredibly guilty. So that was a really big penny drop. Yeah, that was definitely, from then on, I was like, I was definitely interested in working in sustainable tourism. I knew that. You cannot help but work even on your holidays because I don't know too many people who do research (laughs) on their vacations. (laughs) I know, but it was so important, you know, and it was like, I'm so glad I did that because it it led to a very, and that's kind of like what I said. I like, I like to, I like to challenge myself, you know, Um, and I probably didn't hear what I wanted to hear actually. Because on the one hand, I was pleased they all booked through the company I was working for. And then on the other hand, I realized how horrific it was. <laughs> so it was a good moment. So that was really, that was a really big one. Um, and I think another really big one was actually years later in um, South Africa. And I was, uh, I was gone to do some volunteering out there um, and traveling through South Africa and Namibia and Botswana and Zambia at the time. And I was in Botswana and I had a conversation with a lady um, and basically it turned out she was, was, it was all about HIV. And at the time I was very much considering, I was looking at really, I suppose, community-based tourism and how it can work um, versus what wasn't, which was the sort of mass package background that I'd come from. And I suddenly realized that the average age in Botswana due to HIV largely uh, was the age I was at that point in time. And I realized I probably should have been married with umpteen children and be HIV positive possibly for 10 years and be on my way out. And I just suddenly had this moment where I just thought, you know, and those people were, couldn't get the antiretrovirals that they needed. Um, they couldn't get access to transport to hospitals or what have you. Um, and I just suddenly thought, you know, there's all this tourism, there's all this money and none of it's getting to the right causes and the right people. So I think that was a real key moment for me as well. Um, and it was just, pure, I think, you know, really accentuated because it was the same age as I was at the time. Definitely. And to see that had you been born in another country under different circumstances, that very much could have been you. That is one of those transformational things. I think for most people on travel, when you see someone's life that could very well have been yours, had you been the one in those circumstances, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think another really big one, which is a sort of ongoing one, or was ongoing. Sorry, I've got like loads more. <laughs> no, go. <laughs> um, I worked uh, for a charity challenge and volunteer tourism organisation. And so I'd guide the charity challenges um, regularly. And it's, that's, that's probably one of the toughest jobs I've ever done or ever do. Because as well as organising, as, as being a tour guide, you know, you've got to deal with the logistics and make sure nothing goes wrong and you're dealing with anything that does go wrong. And you're on duty the whole time. You know, you're, you're always switched on as to what should be happening. Is it happening? What's happening tomorrow? Have we sorted out whatever happened yesterday, etc., etc. But when people come on charity challenges, um, the customers inevitably have had, they're doing a, a charity fundraising event, basically. They have probably been fundraising for a year or so. So there's an awful lot of time and effort and, passion and commitment that's gone into it they've you know they've really 
built it up to, to a big thing for themselves. And more often than not with a charity challenge, that's come off the back of them having something like a bereavement. And so they come on the trips um, with a huge amount of emotion attached. And it's the sort of be all and end all for the end of the bereavement process, if you like, if, if you like. So they've put their whole year of focus of emotion since the bereavement into that thing um, because that's enabled them to focus positively on something. And then they come on the trip and it might be hiking up Kilimanjaro and helping with some volunteer work, whatever it happens to be. And they suddenly have a moment, they will all at some point have a moment during that trip where it dawns on them that what are they going to do next? And it's like, oh, sh excuse my language. You know, and it's this moment where they just absolutely crumble. And it's, I know it sounds a bit voyeuristic and a bit awful. Does I don't mean it in an awful way. But it's great to see. And it's great to witness. And it's privileged to witness, actually. Because that's when they start to rebuild their lives. And that's when they start to really move on. And they're so much stronger. And that tends to happen you know, before halfway through the trip or, or three quarters of the way through the trip, whatever, it, it's, it will happen at some point during that trip. Um, and I'm in a great privileged position because I'm dealing with everybody and organising everyone together is that I get to be the emotional um, crutch for, for that, for everybody, inevitably, as do, you know, the guys that do my job when we're doing that. And... Um, like I said, it's a real privileged position to be in, actually. And, and people are very embarrassed at times because they're very tearful and they literally have a complete meltdown. Um, but at, at the same time, it's a great um, transformation time for them because that's when they're most vulnerable. And that's when they start to think they can move forward and what's next. And um, it often comes with the, because they've put so much focus on this trip and it is often a, a, a you know, something like a hike up Kilimanjaro the attainment of that challenge for them which is what they they expect it to be physically challenging they never expect it to be emotionally challenging the way it is and then when they attain that and when they manage to do it um both the relief and the thrill and the emotion that's come from breathing and everything it all comes at once and it all yeah <laughs> so they're great they're great trips but i do end up when i come back I probably have to not speak to anybody for a few days because I become such an emotional sponge to it all um, that you really have to sort of decompress from it. It's quite, it's quite a lot of emotion to take on from everybody usually. Even just hearing you talk about it gets me like teary-eyed and then I think, oh, I don't know if I could deal with all that. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's, not for, it's not for everybody by any means. And, and particularly, you know, sometimes I've done things like helping in a cancer hospice in Delhi on, on top of doing these trips when we're doing a Himalaya trip or something like that. And it's really emotional, you know, it's really tough. And most people don't, most people can't handle it. I'm, I'm, I'm a very emotional and deeply caring person, but I can also be extremely tough when required. So yeah. I, but I, like, I like what you said earlier in the, in the interview as well, when you said that you like to, I don't remember the exact wording, but something to the effect of you like to sit in the emotion or you like to experience the emotion. And I think that's definitely something that in today's world is kind of frowned upon, not to just yeah. sit in an emotion and feel it and let it do its thing. And so... so yeah, I mean, that, that was something, it, was, it, it was something I wanted to address with Earth Changes, actually, because... You know, you look at all the online travel agents 
and they're all database run it and and the thing with you database everything and it all has to fit into nice pigeonholes and fields right i find travel now lacks emotion online and travel to me is about emotion because travel is about people you know when you come back from a holiday you don't talk about the amazing bed you had although if you've got a nice four poster you know maybe you might but you know generally but you might talk about the waiter or the guide or the whatever travel's about people and people are about emotion you know what what you remember is people stories not other stuff necessarily a beach is a beach you know so to me travel's about people it's about emotion it's about connecting with that and that's I think missing in a lot of travel and you know some of the customers I've had they've they've come back and they've said I feel I've got back to tra- travel and what it should be about which is meeting local people integrating understanding the culture learning from them having those conversations really feeling quite at one with the community and what have you um Let's talk about Earth Changers. Let's do that. So you are the founder of Earth Changers. Yes. Why don't you go ahead and explain to the audience what Earth Changers is? So we're a curated collection of some of the best sustainable um, tourism, but positive impact tourism around the world. Um, So that's to say sustainability, some people think about it as minimizing negative. Um, What I'm trying to do is highlight where and who maximizes the positive and that you know, ultimately, tourism is a huge sector. It's 10% GDP worldwide, 10% jobs there or thereabouts. Um, it has the power, as many of us know, in adventure tourism or in responsible tourism to change the world. And yet people tend to think about it as being a negative impact. You talk about sustainable tourism, the first thing they'll talk about, what you think about is the, the negative impact of environment of flying. And it's like what people don't think about is how it employs people in every corner of every country of the world and how that then impacts on those families and where, you know, if tourism is managed responsibly and actively to create positive impacts, particularly in these days when NGOs are having the budgets cut and state budgets are being cut for aid, etc., it can really, really, really achieve those things through social enterprise. And so what I wanted to do with Earth Changes is pull out these amazing places around the world who are already doing this, but people just don't know where to find them or if they're legitimate. And because after mass market travel, I worked in sustainable tourism now 12 years, and I'm able to discern those differences. um, I wanted to bring together a site which highlighted these amazing places, which might be five-star lodges, or it might be really quite spit and sawdust, um, or it might be tours, um, just various options where what you do and when you go on holiday, you might go on holiday and have just a lovely, lovely holiday, but behind the scenes, the money is going into very serious sustainability initiatives. Um, or it might be you're more hands-on. So, for example, we've got ocean conservation trips where you're helping with, um, you know, checking for plastics in the water, etc. Or um, it might be, I don't know, mountain environment where you go trekking or what have you. But it's all about positive impacts that largely are around feeding into the sustainable development goals. Hence, it's called Earth Changes because the people in the destinations are changing the places um, and the guests, by going to these places and contributing their money and sometimes time, are Earth Changes too. And you have so many different sectors on your website and in your company that you are influencing. When you click on, you have a purposes or purpose tab. Yeah, I remember what purpose section, yeah. And 
there's so many yeah. things in that menu that you can click on those and you can see, you know, which kind of tours or which kind of holidays or vacations as we call them over on this side of the ocean. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, I forget that on my social media, you know, sometimes. <laughs> well, I, I love it. I love calling it a holiday. It makes you feel like, wow, lots of holidays. Yeah, it's um, not just at Christmas, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but there's so many different purposes that I think I didn't even think of when you think of sustainability. Like there's ones like um, gender equality or mm. en- energy or uh, peace and justice. There's zero hunger. There's partnership. There's marine conservation. I mean, there's a whole list of them that I think maybe originally when I thought I would click on that, I would see, you know, reduce plastic, um, reduce environmental you know, negative environmental impacts and increase the money that goes to the village. I think those are the three like main ones that people think of, but you have so many other ones in there that it was actually really fascinating. And actually, I feel like I need to give a warning to all of the listeners. If you go on the Earth Changers website, which I will put in the show notes so that you can find it really quickly, be warned that you will be there for hours because the information is just fascinating and the people are fascinating and the way you describe the trips and then you describe the people who do the trips and then you describe the impact of the trips. It's like, it's like, I I don't know what to compare it to, but almost like reading a book where you just can't put it down. And so I had set aside, I think like, I don't know, 30 minutes earlier this week, I thought, okay, I should really familiarize myself with the website so that I can talk to Vicki about it. And Hours later, I, I was like, I'm going to do this trip, and then I'm going to do this trip, and I'm going to do this trip. And it was just fascinating. But the I, hope that's, I hope that's a good thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so. I, yeah, listen, I don't know. It, is, it is pretty extensive. Um, but it's uh, easy to navigate. It's not like overwhelming information. It's super easy to navigate. You know, what I really want to, to do, yeah, I really wanted to convey when, when people, we talked about earlier, if people hear the term sustainable tourism, Quite often, actually, the first thing they'll say to me, they'll either say, hang on a minute, is that really possible when you're flying? But quite often, the thing they'll often say is, actually, what really is it? They don't really understand. And it's like, and it's fair enough, it's a complex thing, is sustainability. And, you know, I, I, I talk a lot at events here, but um, quite often, say, fashion events and things like that. People are dealing at the, at the moment, people's understanding around sustainability is quite tangible. So it's plastics. It's where clothes are made and the way they're made a little bit more behind it they're starting to understand some of the intangible stuff behind it the thing with tourism is it's all intangible you're selling a dream um the product as it were is only produced at the point of consumption you know so it's this sort of like unknown you know and i think that's what makes people uh, a challenge for people to understand and i wanted to break it down so that it was hopefully the complexity was broken down into chunks, but to say at the same time, there's a shed load of stuff here that actually is involved and to be super sustainable, these are all the things you're going to be thinking about. And that does feed into the UN world development, sustainable development goals. Um, And that actually all these really big issues, climate change, water, energy, um, they're all massive, but tourism has a huge impact and they have a huge impact on tourism. They're very interrelated. Um, and can be done for the better. And so as much as providing a consumer-curated um, collection of places, so if, if they think, oh, I want to go to 
for example, Malawi. Where can I go? And there, there's there's changes. I've got something there. Um, they might also be driven by the people stories, like you mentioned. They're interested in reading about why people have set these things up, what the emotion is behind it, what the motivations, and they might be drawn into a place like that. But I think there's a, some people who might be particularly issue, interested in water issues. Right, okay, well, where can I go that, that's really good at dealing with this water issue? For example, sustainable development professionals, when they take a holiday, if they're like me and they're actually thinking work when they're going away, right, maybe they too would like to know where does water things well. Um, so I wanted to sort of provide these three uh, ways into really what is taking from a UN policy global level, trying to get down to um, break it down to a certain simplicity within two or three clicks. So from UN global policy level to grassroots level in two or three clicks, which is a bit of a challenge. Um, but hopefully I've done it, although it's quite a lot of information. You do it really well, though, and I think it's important to point out that it's not boring and it doesn't sound dreadful either. So when you're looking through the different uh, options on your website, not not at any point did I think, great, I'm going to spend my whole vacation cleaning an ocean and then I'm going to go home exhausted. <laughs> it's not like that. The The pictures and the way things are described and the things you're doing are still very much a vacation or a holiday and, and you're making positive impacts. And I think that's really important for people to know as well, that it's not an either or it's not a, you can either have a really great time and a really great vacation and come back, you know, transformed and fulfilled and energized, or you can do something that's sustainable. It's not yeah. an either or. It is definitely um, integrated into both. Yeah. And I think, I, well, I'd like to think that, um, you know, I'm very passionate about this type of thing. And as a consequence, the, the partners I work with, I've, I'm just amazed by everything they do. I spend my life in awe of them, seriously, because they've just achieved such incredible things at grassroots level, often coming from a base of very little. And it's, you know, really challenging trying to create a sustainable island off Tanzania, for example, in the 1980s. <laughs> you know, you don't have the materials or this, that and the other. So, the, you know, these guys have spent years, if not decades, sometimes creating these places and, and creating the community impacts that they do and the conservation impacts. And part of the reason I wanted to do it, as well as creating that consumer, you know, facing platform, was to actually hold these places up as a model to the industry and say, look what these guys are doing. They're amazing. The whole bloody industry should work like this. You know, never mind frivolous tourism, which is what I call it. You know, there's a, okay. I question the purpose of tourism sometimes. Um, it's really nice to, obviously to have rest and relaxation, but you can achieve so much more while you have rest and relaxation without sometimes having to do anything. So therefore, why not? You know, it's a bit like if you go into a supermarket and you've got a fair trade coffee versus another coffee and they're the same price, why not buy the fair trade one? So, you know, go to some of these positive impact places and just have a great time. And it's true what you said that you want to support people like that. I was reading the bio. I hope I don't butcher this because I did not write down notes on this, but um, he was a biochemist, I want to say, turned rancher in Croatia, maybe? Yeah, Bruce. You know who I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah, Bruce. So he's a quantum... He is so cute. I fell in love with him because... He's absolutely amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, look, he he was a quantum physicist, and then he went. He came and oh, worked. Oh, that's in the what US. he was. Yeah, yeah, came and worked in the US for Monsanto of all things, and then just went. Whoa, what the hell am I doing? Spent a year living with indigenous tribes, and then came back and said, "I'm going to re bring back the, the ranch concept to Europe, which actually was where it originated, and created Europe's only working ranch in Croatia." I mean, what a story! And when I read that it was the only working one, I thought, nah, that, that's not right. There's got to be other ranches. And I, it had never crossed my mind that there's not other ranches in Europe. No. That's crazy. Yeah, we don't really do that. So, and he's, and so, yeah, when I had a client went there and she was interested in going to one place and she said, oh, I want to talk agriculture. I'm like, if you want to talk agriculture, you've got to go see Bruce. You know, he's the guy. And she had an amazing time. And she said, you know, because all the, you know, here's a, a private protected area where he is. And, um, the, she said, you know, just even the difference of walking through meadows where the, the, same, the sort of bugs and butterflies and things that we had when we were teenagers, but they seem to have all disappeared, you know. And to get back to sort of nature in that way, we, we've, we've lost so much. In the UK, certainly, we've lost so much of our biodiversity. I actually heard an interview um, yesterday. In 30 years, I think this is worldwide, 30 years, 75% of the insect population has been lost. Which is just, you know, you just go, and this is because of habitat destruction, et cetera, et cetera, and pesticides. And I just, it just makes me question, what are we doing to our world the whole time? Um, yeah. Although I, I don't want, know. I want to leave the world for a better place, personally, and I want to make my little mark and try and do that. And, and, and that happens to be through my love of tourism. Oh, definitely. I think you're going to have an uphill challenge, though, trying to convince people to bring the insects back. <laughs> Uh, listen, I like a few bugs. <laughs> well, it's all part of the circle, right? You get rid yeah. of the insects and then the other, it affects the whole, the whole circle, circle exactly. of life. I feel like I need yeah. to sing that, that Lion King song. Yeah. <laughs> Vicky, this has just been so fascinating. I thoroughly encourage everyone to go visit Earth Changers, to look at, you know, all the, if, if nothing, if for nothing else other than the education on sustainability and the different parts of sustainability and what they mean, because I think you lay it out really easy so that people can say, oh, this is what they're talking about when they talk about uh, eco-friendly. This is what they're talking about when they talk about sustainability. I think you have just really fabulous information on there. But also, if you're considering a vacation or a holiday, it's a really good place to start. Like you said, if you're going to be spending the money anyways why not spend it in a way that is helpful in one, in one of these purposes that, that you have on your website? There's just a million different ways that if all of us just try a little bit, we can improve you know, the overall experience and improve our impact on the earth. So that was my soapbox. I'll jump off Thank now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but, so my, little, yeah my, little, my little tagline is life-changing places with world-changing people for extraordinary Aww. experiences with purpose. See, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> that, that's, my whole big soapbox was, you got it down to one sentence. <laughs> Listen, yeah, but it's, it's not short, so fair enough. <laughs> okay. So I always like to end these interviews asking my guests two questions. And the first one is usually, you know, where's your favorite place to go or to mm. vacation or to holiday? Mm. But I think I'm going to modify that a little bit for you. And I'm just going to ask you, what is your favorite of all the purposes on your website, which one is your favorite one and why? Mm-hmm. And I understand that all of them are very important, but I'm going to ask you to pick, you know, at least for right now, for today, which one's your favorite and why? And then the last question is, 
what piece of advice would you give today's adventure traveler? Hmm. You see, now I was, I'd got already thinking, what, what would I say for my favorite destination, which is, which is a challenge, you know, for sure. Um, the thing with the purpose is they're all, they're all issue based, right? They're big, horrible issues, right? So to pick a favorite seems a bit like, <laughs> um, which one do you like working to improve the most? I okay, think there a we better, go. better way to put that. Well, if, uh, if, I, if I name it my favorite, I would go conservation because I'm a, I'm a big animal lover. Right. And I've worked and I trained as a ranger out in South Africa and stuff. So, you know, I definitely love my conservation. I think there's two which are stand out for me. Um, one is, one is because it underpins everything and one is because it overarches everything. So the one that underpins everything is poverty. And if you change poverty, you can change access to water, energy, food, etc., etc. And climate change overarches everything because absolutely everything impacts on climate change and is being impacted by climate change. So in between are then are all the others, if you like. So I think if you can target how to improve the world for the better is what can we do about climate change and what can we do about poverty? That was beautiful. Now, what is your piece of advice? Uh, my piece of advice for everyday travelers, I think it's just to think about travel um, for its ingredients, you know, think about it consciously. Um, when we go on vacation, we sort of turn our brains off having dealt with many customers in the past that do this. And actually, it's really good to realize that, you know, what, what ingredients constitute a vacation, the design and build of a hotel, it's the energy, the water, the waste, it's the staff, it's the training, it's the benefits they get, it's the this and that. When you start to break it down into what are all these elements that make up my vacation, you start to understand the complexity of tourism and how it interrelates with supply chains around the world and how improving is both challenging but also so beneficial um potentially to local people and issues and purpose so i think it would be yeah to be mindful of what constitutes tourism perfect vicky it has been so much to have you thank you for your time and your energy and thank you for what you're doing in the adventure tourism sector and just thank you for coming on thank you very much for having me Shayna here. I really, really try to keep these episodes around 30 minutes, but I just couldn't with Vicky. I hope you enjoyed her stories as much as I did. Remember to visit adventurewriters.agency to join my mailing list and get updates when a new podcast episode airs. Until next time, cheerio!